Emma Donoghue was born in Dublin in 1969, the youngest of eight children. Her mother, Frances, is a former teacher, while her father, Dennis, is a noted professor, author and literary critic. Emma attended convent schools in Dublin and later studied in UCD before completing a PhD at Cambridge, where she met her partner, Chris, and they've been together since. From the age of 23, Emma has earned her living as a writer. Her most acclaimed novel, Room, was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize in 2010, and this week she was nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay from the book. Emma and Chris settled in Ontario in 1998, where they live with their two children, Finn and Una, and Emma has taken Canadian citizenship. And these are Emma Donoghue's Musical Heirlooms. You know, the music I associate with my parents, it's all classical. It's um, uh, Chopin nocturnes, that kind of thing. Um, and my dad had been a very serious singer. In fact, he could have been a professional singer of, of leader. So he and my mother had very highbrow classical taste. There was no trad in our house even. There was no pop, certainly. But I do remember my dad used to sing Over the Sea to Sky for some reason. That was one song he'd blast out. So I have very fond memories of that one and of my dad singing it in a great big bass voice. Being the youngest of eight wasn't so much exciting as really comfortable, really... There were always people around to talk to, you know, and if, if I knocked on the door of one big sibling and she didn't want to let me in, then sure, the next one would. So there was always people to talk to. And I hope I never live alone. It, to me, it would just seem unnatural. I like a house full of people. And uh, my, my siblings, all being older than me, it always seemed like they were doing more exciting stuff. So there was always action and go, yeah. Um, and I also liked the fact that, like, at the dinner table, there'd be ten people talking and everyone fighting for a share in the conversation. So I think it did, it did turn us all into conversationalists. And then um, when I was a teenager, I began to feel, you know, Ireland's conservative side really closing around me. I remember hearing about the Anne Lovett case where she died giving birth and the Kerry Babies trial and the moving statues. And gradually I started thinking, get me out of here. You know, I, I just couldn't stand the way Ireland was in the 1980s in particular. It just seemed absolutely preoccupied with putting women back in their box. Right, that was a revelation. Yeah, we went for just for a single year, um, just the three youngest in the family with my parents. And in New York, I met, you know, divorced people. That was a new concept. People who weren't white. Um, it was it was just breathtakingly different. And I just remember it as this sensory wake up, you know, things like watermelon and blaring yellow taxis and everything just seemed brighter and sunnier and more dangerous and more exciting. I think most of us assumed that we would emigrate. You know, growing up in Ireland in the 80s, you, you always had that feeling of you'd get a degree and you'd get out. So it felt like we were being sort of prepared to head off on our journey around the world, you know. Um, so not a particularly conservative Irish family. And um, when I realised I was gay at 14, of course, I had a few years of trembling, you know, would my family exclude me? But I have to say none of them did, you know. And I think I told them all by the time I was about 21 and not a one of them rejected me, you know. So I really... I think often Irish families, you you assume that they're deep down conservative and they're really not. You know, they may not have all the up to date jargon about a subject, but, you know, if they love their kid, they love their kid. That that works. It was a bit alarming coming out because um, until then I'd just been this, you know, I was never in trouble. You know, no trouble with boys, no trouble with drink, no trouble with anything. I was very sort of hardworking at school and the nuns all approved of me and loved me. And I was always writing poems and winning debating competitions. So I was Miss Goody Goody. So to then realise, oh my God, I'm a dirty lesbian. You know, it was a very strange kind of double thing. I kept thinking, you know, people like me and approve of me, but if they only knew, they wouldn't. 
I'd start going to gay pubs when I was about 19 and I remember I went into my, my first one with a, a gay male friend and I was thinking oh nobody else is wearing a dress like I am and then I spotted one and I said oh grand she's got a dress on and he said no no honey that's a he so <laughs> I never felt I had the dress code quite right. Chris is Canadian and she was there in Cambridge on a, on a two year thing so yes we met in this very scholarly setting and I, I put her off immediately by I flung up my hand to ask a question of the uh, person giving the seminar and Chris remembers thinking that I was the typical kind of obnoxiously arrogant Cambridge woman you know but uh, somehow somehow love bloomed despite my having put her off in the first place and um, yes that was nearly 20 years ago so it's amazing how time runs away with you I think what makes the biggest change in a relationship is when you have kids because before that it's all very carefree you know so even if you have a mortgage or whatever you're still basically you know living your lives very freely but kids it's a whole other dynamic you're suddenly you know sailing this ship through a storm together you know you're you're both having such demands made on you in terms of sleep and energy and patience and everything so it's it's much tougher but on the other hand it is this kind of joint enterprise you know but it it just feels like the most enormously deep connection once you've had kids with someone um and so it, in a way it goes beyond the kind of you know easy passion of the early years because it just it feels like you've put down roots into each other I'm trying to remember, did Band-Aid come first or was it Live Aid? I think that the show was was Live Aid. And um, my friend and I were trying to watch the bands all day. And in particular, you two, who we just revered. And my wretched parents were there and they only like classical music. So they were, you know, unsympathetically watching this parade of people like David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. And uh, then when you two finally came on and I felt I was in the presence of my God, you know, and my mother said, that one, Mr. Bonio. And I just felt a surge of hatred, you know, like that my parents were this outdated generation who didn't understand and I just wanted to zap them off the face of the earth so that I could worship at the shrine of Bono. And I used to use the lyrics of you two as kind of... um, scripture almost I used to write a random line of U2 lyrics on every page of my homework notebook at school and then I would let that line be a kind of guide to the day you know